Welcome to Productive Flow, where we answer the eternal question, why can't I get myself to do the things I know I should be doing? If you want natural productive flow and higher levels of success without all that struggle and self-judgment, this podcast is for you. Now, let's jump in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Productive Flow. I have a really special guest for you today. I have Dr. Michael DiMaria, and I am... I have known him for a very long time through his music. And the more I learned about him, the more I saw how accomplished he was, things that I didn't know that I hadn't connected to. And I thought, wow. So let me tell you a little bit about Michael here before we move forward. And I let him start talking. So his life turned inside out and upside down. After the first decade of his professional life, when he underwent a life-transforming vision quest, so lament in the wild, without food, without water, guided by a native teacher. Now, he went there suffering compassion fatigue uh, and burnout after working for many years uh, with severe cases of child abuse, which you know that uh, we talk a lot about childhood trauma here, um, as a child protection, child protection team psychologist. Now, the experience provided a profound healing for him, a course correction, and gave him a vision for his life and reconnected him with his first love, music. Now, ever since his mission has been to help guide others to what he calls the ocean of peace that lies within each human heart. Now, he does this through his work as a creative mentor for the soul's journey, yoga, meditation, mindfulness teacher, and above all, as a musician, artist, poet, and filmmaker. His healing music is heard over a million times a week a week (laughs) across the world, garnering him four, not one, not two, not three, four Grammy nominations, uh, eight ZMR awards. You're going to have to tell me what those are. Six number one albums, number one albums, a Native American music award and appearing on the Grammy winning album, all about bullies, big and small. Now, he's also a Sounds True recording artist with his music being featured on projects with Eckhart Tolle, Mark Nepo, and Noah Levine. So thank you so much, Michael, for being here. I am so appreciative of you and spending time with us today. And uh, I cannot wait to hear about all of this, this journey and this experience that you've had. Thank you so much, Angela. It's a treat to be here. I love your enthusiasm and warm welcome. Um, it's it's just an honor. And, and everyone who's listening, thank you for tuning in. It's just a joy to have a chance to, to share space together. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So tell us, tell us what inspired this this vision quest, this lament in the wild. What what inspired that that journey? Well, inspired would be putting it mildly, I would say that I was called um, Mm. because I was suffering so greatly. Yeah. You know, I had been a obsessive overachiever. You know, I, I graduated with two bachelor's degrees just as I was turning 20. Um, 
I married my high school sweetheart, same year at 20. We went to grad school. I had a, uh, a PhD or my master's at 21, a PhD at, uh, just as I was turning 25 and daughter at 24 started a, a practice that took off and was very successful and was a large group practice. And as you mentioned, I was working as a child protection team psychologist for a two county area and and it seemed like on the outside, uh, there was nothing but success. Mm. And inside, I was, uh, I was struggling with a, um, a depression. I was, I was realizing I was incredibly burned out. And there was so much pulling on me and so many people needing me. And I'm a recovering codependent. You know, so I know what everyone else needs before I know what I need. Yeah. And, you know, I was a child of an immigrant. My father moved here from Italy when he was 20. My, my mother grew up in foster homes. Um, music, art, creativity was not considered a you know, viable, a bio, a viable career. Yeah. yeah. When I told my dad it, uh, and this is part of the backstory that's essential to, 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 to share. And, and I think we all have a something similar in different details, but why I think it's so important to share a little of the backstory at 18, when I, when I was deciding what I wanted to do with my life, you know, and told my dad, I want to go to California and study music and film. And he literally laughed and said, you know, um, your kids can be artists, musicians, you're going to be a doctor. Mm. Uh, At the time I didn't know he didn't get into medical school three times, but he was, I love my father. He just passed away last year, transition. Um, but he was also old school and could be really tough. And I was the dutiful altar boy raised Catholic and you didn't cross your father. I had never said a crossword to him. So I knew he must know something I didn't. So, so it's not that I, and I, I was actually a huge disappointment because he wanted me to be a neurosurgeon or a surgeon heart surgeon, brain surgery would be great. And when I said, well, how about a psychologist? Well, if you get your PhD, maybe that'll be okay. Um, so I realized that I was, I was running that, that decade from my, from 20 to, to 30, 31, I was trying to be what everyone wanted me to be. And Mm. I was really running from a lot of childhood trauma Mm. I had a number of surgeries as a kid and, um, and my dad was a pretty strong disciplinarian in the old school. So there was, I was the sensitive one. I was the empathic one. And so I figured the way I could help everyone was not need anything. I get you. (laughs) That makes me emotional just to, yeah, I get it. Yeah, me too. So being a therapist was was perfect at one level because there I was just giving everyone what they needed again Mm -hmm. while I was dying inside. My soul was screaming, Angela. So I get to 30, 31 and I, uh, you know, I've talked about this in other areas, but you know, I was suicidal Mm -hmm. and it didn't make a lot of sense. And I knew the warning signs, but I couldn't talk about my vulnerability. I couldn't talk about my needs. I couldn't talk about what was going on inside of me. 
And the part of me, I pushed away at 18, this incredible call to be a music musician, you know, to share all of this. Uh, I was, you know, I had all this love I have inside through music. I mean, that yeah. was really this vision I had at 18. And through an extraordinary set of synchronicities that I still have no idea, I'm finally writing about it in this new memoir I'm working on because I figure people think I'm crazy, they think I'm lying, but the this native teacher, we dreamed of each other. Mm. And it's a long story, but the bottom line is somehow the universe, spirit, God, whatever word you want to call it, Tao, conspired on calling me to the wilderness of uh, Alberta, Canada, just north of Glacier National Park, um, to do this fast in the wilderness without food or water. And I was completely unprepared for, for any of it. Yeah. But it broke me open in the way I needed to. And, yeah. and so I would say, going back to your question, what inspired me was uh, deep, profound suffering. Yeah. <laughs> Found inner suffering that did not have an outlet. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, looking at that and saying, okay, you know, deep, profound suffering, there was something else underneath behind that, which was this deeply rooted desire to truly know yourself and embody your true self. Beautiful. And that you were trying to fit into this, this version of you that had been created by others. And there was this need to break free from that. Absolutely. Beautifully put. And because I also like to say two things that open the heart are great suffering and great love. And that the soul not only demands self-determination, but has its own inner GPS. Mm. If we get quiet enough and listen enough. And that's why being out there with no distractions, quiet, solo, nature, exposed to the elements, no food or water. Boy, things get clear really quick. And I could see all the ways in which I wasn't fully being true to myself. Mm -hmm. I will say I have no regrets about the journey and, and hope maybe we'll get into this, but I call it the river of life that mm -hmm. we all, there is no straight line for all this. There's no straight line in nature and that it connected me to a larger story because my music wouldn't be what it is if I didn't work as all those years as a therapist, as a psychologist, yeah. or as a play therapist, music, art therapist, that connected me that, you know, I say the kids taught me more than I taught them. It was a huge part of my evolution of becoming the kind of musician and sound healer that I am. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So tell me, tell me more about that experience of you know walking away after that 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 vision quest that you were on walking away from that because you don't you don't just instantly snap into this new version of yourself it's it's being able to see it but it's seeing it as um and trying to put this into words seeing it as almost 
a separate version of you standing in front of you. And you're like, okay, I see this. I connect with this. I feel it. I want to be there. But right now I'm here and there's still that, that space between us. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's so key, you know, the vision quest really starts. My teacher said, when you go home, you know, because Mm -hmm. I, I did, I had these incredible visions of, you know, of so many things from my music to, I had this large group practice at the time called Deemer and Associates. And I had a call to, to, uh, write this book, which became ever flowing on and to finally do my first album. That vision fast, that vision quest was 1993. Mm -hmm. My, uh, for the book ever flowing, I didn't come out till 2001. Mm-hmm. My practice wasn't renamed Antos and became Antos Music, Antos World Press, Antos Films. Uh, my first album was 2004. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry, 2003. It was 10 years from that date. Yeah. So one of my teachers would say that a vision without a task is just a dream. Mm-hmm. A task without a vision is just a job. But a vision with a task will change you and change the world. Mm, I like that. Isn't that beautiful? Mm, so so beautiful. I, came, I came back with a lot of tasks. Yeah. And there was lots of times um, in, in, in the way I like to talk about it is, is what's called a soul initiation. And a vision quest is not the only kind of soul initiation. We, we're in some ways, many, particularly in modern society, because we don't have rites of passage, uh, trauma can be a form of initiatory experience. But the idea is that the ego, which is a social self that we've created for creating, you know, what we call and what we were talking about before we got on survival work mm-hmm. or some native traditions call it your survival dance. Mm-hmm. Then you have to listen more deeply, though, because that's only your first foothold in the world. The ego is the social self. The soul is our essential self. It's a child of nature. Ego is a child of society. Mm. So soul being a child of nature, there is this intuitive deep, as you were kind of mentioning, that part of me, that, that inner GPS is our sacred dance and our soul work, which we would do for free. And it mm-hmm. gives us the greatest joy because it's intrinsically so nourishing and valuable. Mm-hmm. And I, I imagined when I was coming back that I needed to begin to weave those together like two threads of DNA. Mm. And it was like shedding a skin, you know, and that's why I think what what's challenging is Carl Jung would say the in a soul initiation, the ego gets moved out of the center of gravity of the self. So the soul can start becoming the gravity of the self, the, gra- the inner gravity of your life. And that but is that unbalancing. Is, right. It is incredibly <laughs> it's unbalancing. unbalancing. That's why I said, turn myself inside out and upside down. I doubted my vision. I, mm. I felt overwhelmed by it. I said, you know, this will never happen. Um, and there was the day-to-day living to do. There was the survival yeah. You know, my daughter was six when I came back. I had this large group practice with people depending on me. I had a mortgage on a building and a house. It was really challenging. And my journaling, my soul name, I, I, I 
put up these pictures that still are there in my studio and my office of the pictures from that experience that stayed with me that I wanted to look at every day mm. to remind me what I experienced so I wouldn't go back to sleep. Yeah. And I realized, and it took me years to really get to a place where it was the big question was, how do I need to structure my life so it becomes less and less likely I'll go back to sleep because that's the, that's the human condition, you know, that we tend to constantly forget as human beings, why we're here and who we really are. Yeah. Yeah. And there's somewhere, some, some point in our childhood that that happens and we just lose touch. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that it's, it's like you're saying, but in reverse where the soul self is center when we're born and that as time goes on and we're introduced to all these social constructs that it's moved out to make space for the ego. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's the reverse process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And particularly in our culture, which doesn't even recognize the reality of the soul Yeah, for the most part mm -hmm. in, in the way we're talking about it. Yeah. That's what I saw so often, you know, as a, as a, uh, child psychologist and play therapist, you know, I'd have these four, five-year-olds come in, even three, and I'd ask them to draw me a picture. And, oh, let me show you. I'm a great artist. Mm -hmm. Same kid, seven, eight, mm -hmm. nine years old comes in. I don't draw very well. Yeah. Yeah. That, that ed, the way our education system was developed was from the middle ages and the industrial revolution where we're creating cogs in an industrial machine. Yeah. There's no honoring of the deep uniqueness of each individual child. And we have to completely reinvent our educational system because it, it oh, is yeah. damaging to everything we're talking about. Yeah. And, and in native cultures, the most important thing to discover within a child is their unique gift they are here to give the world mm -hmm. and to the tribe. Agreed. Yeah, I love that. And I, that's a big part of why I've homeschooled my kids. Uh, I, we've been homeschooling for a very long time. <laughs> Not, it wasn't a COVID thing. It was way, yes. way before that's that. Um, all of our adult children were homeschooled. And then our wow. eight-year-old has never seen the inside of a... Well, he did once. I took him. I said, do you want to go to school? And he, he was fine until he got to the lunchroom. And then he was like, no. No, I don't want to be here. It's too noisy. Uh, well, <laughs> I and you. I wish I had been. Yes. No. God bless you. It's fantastic. It's it's uh, it's a journey. It's interesting, but for me, I feel like it's really it's allowed my kids to develop into the person that they truly want to be, and honoring their natural interests and talents and things, and it does help them pull that gift out of themselves because it's that's the focus is what do you want to learn not here's what you're going to learn and this is how you're going to learn it it's what do you want to do today yes. what do you want to learn about what do you want to talk about world's so, our oyster <laughs> i know what it's about so yeah i like i really do i really love that Want to learn more about Productive Flow and connect with other business owners and salespeople on the same journey? Then go join our free Facebook group at ProductiveFlowGroup.com. 
It's free, and you'll also get access to special content and resources. See you inside the group. I understand how how traumatic coming off of um, just all the what you had mentioned about you know childhood surgeries and things like this that you had experienced. And I watched your film, and you talked about having um, a, a near death experience. In that, I don't know if you want to speak to that at all, um, but that had to be profound and to have had an an impact somehow on this this understanding of who you are and maybe even after going home after this this lament in the wild was there a connection back to that point and part of that remembering part of that saying I'm not going to let go of this I'm not going to let myself forget beautiful question Angela and yes on, on, on both accounts so I was seven. It was an abdominal surgery. I'd already had uh, two other surgeries when I was younger, not unrelated, but I was, I was seemed like I was the only one of me, my, uh, my two brothers. I was the middle of three that uh, had these issues. And the, the near death experience did give me an extraordinary, I was already highly sensitive and deeply empathic and kind of lived between the worlds you know you know I didn't talk to I was almost three and I was uh, my my mother used to watch you know you could tell her something different about you from the beginning you'd sit and we used to joke that you were watching the grass grow because you would just sit there and meditate you know on nature as a young child and so in this near-death experience, I had an experience of this other world that was incredibly full of, of light and color and, and the most amazing music you could imagine. But I could not talk about it. Um, part of the backstory is my grandmother, my mother's mother, was an ex- uh, highly sensitive, deeply empathic woman who was parenting two kids during the Depression extremely traumatized and was going through a spiritual emergence or emergency uh, dealt with poverty all kinds of things anyway in 1944 27 um, she was put in a psychiatric hospital because she was talking to the trees and the clouds and actually it was a very blissful thing she said i'm walking on a cloud and uh, i think there was anyway the bottom line is she spent the rest of her life there as a result yeah. of insulin shock ice baths yeah. and diagnosed catatonic trauma from the solution right idiopathic means the treatment was worse than what was going on and they told my parents that uh, if any of your children are extremely creative or imaginative they could have early onset schizophrenia and they should be seen can you imagine that i mean that's that so here's Michael talking to panthers coming out of the wall and talking about going to the other side. And they were terrified. Yeah. And I learned very quickly I couldn't talk about those things. Yeah. And that was a very difficult thing. I had such vivid dreams, both night terrors from the surgery, but even before the surgery, 
even to this day, I have these vivid dreams. Um, kind of this background is kind of how I experienced reality a lot. Mm-hmm. That, you know, this was my channel switcher and this was my wake up button. And, and so I lived in this very creative, uh, soulful space very connected to nature and animals and always felt this sense of oneness. But all of that particularly, uh, I want to keep it, keep it abbreviated to, to get back to the, how that connected. So I was a lover of music, nature, poetry, and in middle school, you know, there was some bullying, you know, I was made fun of for bringing my music books to school. I was made fun of on the bus because I was always talking about my garden Mm -hmm. and, 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 and then I had this like terrible other trauma and I decided I was, I threw away my music books. I threw away everything. My core choir director told me not to sing because my voice was cracking and I loved to sing. And I said, I'm just going to be a jock. I'm going to, that's the only thing that's going to, anybody's going to appreciate. I put all of that, I buried that away, just like I buried being a musician at 18. Yeah. So on that vision quest, I first, it was the first time I heard the Native American flute, which Mm -hmm. just, just broke my heart open. It was like hearing a friend. I mean, it was like in that context and in that setting, it was, I I still listen to the album that the, the little cassette I got at a Glacier National Park Lodge. I just, to this day, he's become a very good friend, Carlos Nakai, um, Earth Spirit. That that is like, that was the soundtrack to my vision quest. And I started remembering, you know, I, I started remembering uh, though the, the the white tiger and panther that would visit me in my dreams as a mm-hmm. kid, and, and I actually had a white doe visit me in the flesh yeah first night and the last night of my vision quest all of a sudden these connections see they're right here they're right yeah Yeah. and and it was like wow i have buried so much and it's going to take time but i know now what i have to do yeah and and the things the things that happened out there, like I, like my white doe, I call her mm-hmm. Snowflake. I remember like before I leave, I want to see her one more time because was it just an image that first night when she appeared? <laughs> was she really real? <laughs> I they call it calling your soul back. When I was mm-hmm. just about to leave, she shows up. <sighs> Go on my knees. And this is one of many experiences that happened yeah. that I got on my knees and cried and said, I know so little. Yeah. about what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And I no longer believed I knew. And that's a, that's a sliver of what I experienced out yeah. there. Just I a sliver. Imagine. Yeah. But I, it remind all of a sudden, all of those experiences I had as a child. And by the way, I really do feel like we are all so awake as children. Like even the infant is all soul, no ego. Oh yeah. And it's clouded over mm-hmm. by a soulless, heartless culture mm-hmm. that nobody created intentionally. I, I think it's important. There's not like a bad guy out there that did all this. It was, it was just the 
trajectory that our species has taken the last 2,500 years, that, you know, 10,000 years even. And we need to remember. And that's why I like when people talk about, I like to call it the ancient future. Yeah. Oh, it's, 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 it's not going backwards because, Hey, I love technology. Technology lets us do this. It lets us do this great music. We have to remember our deep interconnection with each other and with nature to heal the brokenness of our culture. Yeah. Now I hear that hundred percent. And you're, you're just, it's, you have such an eloquent way of saying it. You really do. Um, yeah. So I have so much to say about that. I will hold that for post show. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) But, um, I do want to, um, touch on your, your ability because I mean, just in, in productive flow, I feel like you have, have really truly mastered what that is. And you have even since then, I mean, when you came out of that and you got to a space of embracing your, your identity and soul self as a musician, as an artist, that you have done all these amazing things and released these albums and done all of this work in your musician or in your music and writing books and um, just everything that you've done that has nothing to do well, maybe something because it's all linked together, right? But seemingly nothing to do with your job as as a psychologist. And yet you still took on that role and had that as your career while you were running this secondary career as a musician and, and everything that came with that. And yet still were a husband and a father and had to take time for yourself to balance all of that, keep yourself in, in a space of creativity. Because if we're, if we're always going in so many directions and we're, we're serving people out there at every level and not serving ourselves, then we're not capable of the kind of openness and creativity required for you to create in the way that you have. Mm. How did you, balance all of that how did you come into a space of saying i first of all just an awareness around i can have all of this mm. and then physically putting that into action and saying i do i have all of this mm. and it works mm. beautiful question angela and the two words that come to mind are grace and uh, trajectory <laughs> so every year, uh, at the beginning of the year, I write, I have a, what I call vision planning goal sheet that I created, which is, you know, a month goal, a six month goal, a year goal, a five year goal, a 10 year goal and 20 year goal. Yeah. At least. And I spent a lot of time meditating on it, putting it on down. And then I also put it away mm-hmm. and don't look at it again for a year. Mm-hmm. And the other piece is what happened in the vision quest. I think what happens when you start listening to the promptings of your soul, which soul can be, you know, a little esoteric for people. Soul comes from the Latin word anima, 
which is the same word for animate. So I like to say the soul is that which brings you alive. It's your live aliveness, mm -hmm. right? It, it's what brings you joy, bliss. It, it's your energy. Mm -hmm. And will only gets us through a few decades until we burned out. I was running on will till 31. And I began to, and it took me another decade. I mean, you know, it was, again, my vision quest was 31. I had my first album at 41 mm -hmm. um, produced and put out there, released. That I began honoring that number one, always putting it in a greater power's hand. I like, I did never think about Grammy nominations or mm -hmm. million or two million spins a week or, or, or financial. It was, it was care of the soul. So in some ways my, my soul work is not work. It's our sacred mm -hmm. dance. Yeah. And so that was actually like, even after a long day of clients and, and spending time with my daughter and, and trying, you know, connecting with my wife, I would go in my studio because it was my way of, of refueling, filling my cup. Mm -hmm. And the other thing was, as soon as I could, I started figuring out, okay, exactly how much money do I need to, to, to put the roof over my head and food on the table? And now how can I create time for my writing and my music? Which I realized the last night of the vision quest, at least the way I was taught and guided is what's called the death lodge. Mm -hmm. It's going to get me emotional, but you okay. imagine yourself on your deathbed that last line, you put a call out to both sides of the veil that anyone who, who has unfinished business with you, I'm here because I, yeah. I'm, I'm on my deathbed. Mm -hmm. And the last conversation you have is with either, you know, death or God or however you understand it. And to see if you're ready to leave that night. And it was particularly profound for me because of my dear death experience. Because mm -hmm. uh, I, I was not happy to come back at seven and it, it was hard to stay here yeah. because I, I was like, wow, this, this sucks compared to there. You know? Well, and not just that, but the silence that oh, you weren't able to, to process it, it right. you know? Right. Absolutely. So the idea is if you're not at peace with dying tonight, what do you have to go back and do? So when it is your time, you can go with an open heart an open and willing heart and it puts things in such perspective so from that point on angela it became when i had a decision to make and it re remains the truth to this day moment by moment day by day how is this going to look from my deathbed mm -hmm. and that's one of the biggest shadows of our culture is we are living a death phobic grief illiterate culture mm -hmm. and you cannot access the soul without tears, without facing our mortality. Yeah. And so it was like, I knew like what mattered. Yeah. I want to be a good husband and father and I want to not die with my music in me. Mm -hmm. Those were like the three big things. Yeah. Uh, and, and it also, you know, I began practicing different over time. Uh, there was some rock, rocky roads because my associates didn't want me to disband Demer and Associates and mm -hmm. turned into a music studio. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And that was that was a painful 10-year process, some yeah. that, that didn't end so gracefully. Mm -hmm. And yet my soul kept propelling me. I was continued to be called, as I am today, to what is the next thing. 
Yeah. And, and the last piece I want to say with that is that my my soul name for my vision quest was ever flowing on, which is the name of my first book for general readership. Mm-hmm. And it became really important to me to realize that whatever I was doing, the music, the books, the psychology, even parenting and husbanding is that is it it's one thing it's it's ever flowing on through each of those it's like my background is ever flowing on it's it's like people you know it all feels like one thing to me mm-hmm. that they are different vehicles for doing my soul work yeah for showing up from my deepest soul signature that i currently am able to show up with yeah i like that and it really feeds into what I, I say a lot with entrepreneurs is that, you know, they, they hear from other people that they're workaholics. Right. And I just don't, I believe that that is a thing for people who are doing yeah. something they're not supposed to be doing. They're not meant to be doing. Um, and it's coming from, it's coming from fear. Right. Um, but this is something different. Yes. And this is, There is no difference between the time you're spending in in work or in play, in learning, in research, in in spending time with people that you love. And it's it's all just like these threads of who you are just expanding into the world in different ways. And so there is no workaholism in that space. It's just being yourself That's because it. your life becomes something that you're not taking a break away from so that you can then be yourself. You're just always being yourself in every way. That's it. That's so beautifully put Angela. And one of my, one of my goals was how do I, how do I be authentic in every area of my life? Mm-hmm. How do I simply show up as me? Of course yeah. I couldn't do that till I found out more deeply who I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the other piece, you know, my teacher would say, you know, um, Michael, your culture thinks of, of the life journey as climbing a mountain, you mm. know, just will your way to the top. We yeah. don't see it that way. It's We see it as flowing down a river you've never mm. been down before, both with great beauty and great challenges. But it's this adventure. It's this ongoing adventure. And you're, I'm still on there. Every day I kind of imagine, well, what will show up on the river today? Like, oh, this talk <laughs> with Angela. You know, so... That's where the grace comes in too, yeah. is that it, no, I, I feel like at least for the last 10 years, I don't work anymore. It, it's yeah. although my wife tells me I'm busier than ever, you know, or <laughs> she'll call me the laziest successful person she knows because <laughs> I do a lot of self care, yeah. but it's, it's, I think a very childlike, not childish, but a keeping mm-hmm. a childlike curiosity and wonder and awe about what's unfolding in each moment, right? And yeah. that's, the awakened state is actually the most familiar place. We all were there as children and we were educated out of it. Yeah. And and that's a tragedy. In many indigenous cultures, child's play is actually the, the stepping stone to mature soul work. Mm-hmm. Where in our culture we say throw away childish things, and what happens? We throw the right, and we throw the baby out with the bathwater, mm-hmm. and 
And so we either have people who've thrown out their childlike qualities and become dry as dust, or people who want to retain the childlike, but they keep the childish and they're irresponsible and not grow. Yeah. Don't grow yeah. up. But those are our, our culture tends to bifurcate that way. Yeah. It's changing, mm-hmm. partly through the kind of work we try to do um, with with flow. And I, again, I love that you're bringing in the soul and the, the understanding of life as a journey and the dimension of feelings and inner work into an entrepreneurial, you know, uh, work. I know sounds true. Tammy Simon, who's interviewed me, she has this inner MBA program now mm-hmm. she calls. And, and so this works. I mean, I have very dear friends who are CEOs yeah. and, you know, high level from judges to, 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 to attorneys, to surgeons, and they, all are hungry for this kind of understanding, even though here I am, did not plan to bring my, <laughs> but you know, this is, but it's, it's, it's like, perfect. Oh, how perfect. Like this is childlike wonder that informs very tough work that I do at times. Yeah. And it was informing me when I had to go testify in child abuse cases, you know, that keeping that heart and keeping that awareness of the interconnectedness between all of us with nature and all the species makes us uh, more resilient, more creative, yeah. more, uh, more effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a heck of a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Michael, thank you so much. I want to be mindful of your time and uh, I just appreciate you so much and appreciate you being here and sharing this, this compilation of experiences throughout your journey and, and the impact that it's had on you to let go of the conditioned self and break free into really living the life that's that's true to who you are as an individual so thank you so much thank you Angela it was a joy to be here with you and I want to just mirror that back to you and clearly you are on that similar path and really embracing your heart and soul work so thank you for having me on and everybody who tuned in thanks for being yeah now for people who want to hear more about all your stuff and watch that movie and hear your music, your beautiful music and read your books. Where can they learn more about you? Well, my website is probably the best hub to, to, Mm -hmm. to go in all directions. It's michaeldemaria.com, michaeldemaria.com. And I do have, we're just beginning to turn it into a free program. My peace within program for integrative wellness and it's you can go to alldaypeace.com alldaypeace.com you can find me and create a michael brant de maria use my middle name michael brant de maria uh, station on pandora amazon music ask alexa to play me oh michael, i've got you on spotify uh, or spotify <laughs> yeah, uh, all the streaming platforms um, you can find me on and there's links to all of those from my website mm-hmm. as well i have a podcast musitations where we explore creativity as a meditative mindfulness practice mm-hmm. so we use all the muses not just music and that's all i can think of at the moment okay well great well thank you so much <laughs> thank you angela
All right. And for those of you looking to learn more about what we have going on at Productive Flow, please visit ProductiveFlowChallenge.com where you can tune in and register for our five-day transformational event, which is happening live next week. And if you don't make it next week, that's okay. You can register and catch all the replays. Thank you so much. See you next time. Thanks for listening. And especially thank you for sharing the show and leaving a review on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. Want to learn more about Productive Flow and connect with other business owners and salespeople on the same journey? Then go join our free Facebook group at ProductiveFlowGroup.com. It's free and you'll also get access to special content and resources. Now, stay tuned for the next episode of Productive Flow.